Welcome to the Me The Money Show. I'm Dan Barnes, Editorial Director at Markets Media Europe, and joining me this week are Lynn Strong and Dodds, Editor of Best Execution Magazine. Hi, Lynn. Hi. And Terry Flanagan, Editor of Markets Media. Terry, welcome back to the show. Hello, Dan. How are you? Very well, thank you. Much better than the derivatives markets in Europe. Seems Lynn are losing out to the US. Is that right? Yes, it's like the never-ending Brexit story. So the recent study by Deloitte and IH Market has shown that the City of London has lost £2.3 trillion of its lucrative derivatives trading business in March alone, with Wall Street trading platforms gaining the most from Brexit. So market share for euro swaps just in London fell from under 40% in July 2020 to just 10% in March, while it rose on European platforms from 10 to 26%. But the figure in the U.S. was a jump from less than 10 to 19 percent, with New York being the main beneficiary. Now, it attributes the shift in trading to the fact that there is no equivalent deal between the EU and UK, and no one expects this to happen. Even though that was the view last year before the trade deal, this is just not going to materialize. However, the good news is that this has not impacted market liquidity. And also, London still holds its dominant share in clearing. It has about 90% of the cleared market. For now, if you look at Europe, there really is no single EU capital emerging as a financial hub. People expected that might have been the case and that Frankfurt would have won out. But in fact, Germany has become the main destination for new bank authorization and banks bilateral trading on account of equities, bonds and derivatives through systematic internalizers. The Netherlands has become the go-to place for MTFs, for equities, bonds, and derivatives, while France is dominating the organized trading facilities, which are trading venues for non-equities, such as bonds and derivatives. And so the guy, um, David Stratton, head of Deloitte EMA, Center for Regulatory Strategy, who was part of the report, said, while some capital market activities clearly migrated from the UK to the EU, there's no doubt that the UK remains the largest capital market hub in Europe. I should preface this for now because he added, we are only at the beginning of the post-Brexit journey. The changes banks have introduced to their business and operating models have been largely driven by regulation rather than commercial considerations. Brexit fragmentation has increased costs across banks' European operations at a time when the economy has been pressurizing them. The fees are down, margins are squeezed. So the banks, the challenge they face now is that they have to improve efficiency and achieve sustainable profitability across their European operations. And also people do expect that more London-based traders and market participants, investment bankers will be asked to go off to the European hubs. It hasn't happened yet. People, Some people are actually leaving, like JP Morgan had a bunch of uh, bankers leave because they didn't want to move to Paris. The time will tell. So at the moment, it seems like New York may be the <laughs> dominant trading hub for derivatives. Excellent. So Terry... So there'll be 100 million reports. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be many, many more reports on this. Terry, you must be dancing in the streets then. Yes, the, uh, the, the ticker tape parade for the increase in derivatives is, is coming up today, 1 p.m. No, but it, it has, uh, as, as Lynn pointed out, there is some changes in UK, EU with Brexit that people are seem to be a little wary of. I don't think the U.S. is necessarily doing anything 
better or different in terms of market operators and technology providers, infrastructure providers for derivatives trading. However, there has been stability there. The market has been very strong. I'm just seeing some of the WFE report that derivatives trading volume was up by 40% last year, yep. which was you know a lot of market volatility that has continued, maybe not as strong in 2021, but it has been a strong year. Steady as she goes. And also one notable thing has been there have been no market blowups, really. There's been no big exchange outages or any kind of algos gone wild that there or botched IPOs that have made the headlines in, in years past. So it's been a, a solid kind of a Goldilocks type uh, situation for market infrastructure providers. I think it's going going very well and also quietly going well. And uh, things are uh, humming along, I think. Oh, absolutely. And none of them have been flagged off by Elon Musk. So that means they're all doing fine. Correct. Very uh, true. But, <laughs> but one to... is always wary of his, his Twitter account. What's coming up next in that, right? That's right. Although it's good to see that London's derivative losses actually mirror those of Bitcoin investors this week. So fantastic there. And Terry, oh, we had some sad news over at Internet, didn't we, this week? Yeah, this, well, this was actually last month, about a month ago, yeah. their, their former CEO, William Lupien, passed away at the age of 79, a very long and distinguished career in, he was a pioneer in electronic trading. And so what we're doing, we're going to be putting out an article probably next week, doing sort of a retrospective where I spoke with three people who worked with Phil in the 1980s and really remarkable man, a visionary and, and also manager and got some real interesting anecdotes. Like, for example, the one fellow was working for him. He was selling electronic trading terminals in Chicago on the trading floor in the 80s. And this was, there was a lot of resistance to electronic trading. And he said he got back from his trip and said, Mr. Lupian, I didn't realize our company had an expletive in front of the name because all the people who he was approaching about selling were would give him an eye roll and have no interest. And he also, Bill Lupian, hired people right out of college for a reason because they didn't know that electronic trading didn't work. If you know he hired experienced people, they would say, oh, forget it. Electronic trading is not going to work. But college graduates didn't have that that baggage, so they were free to kind of go in with an open mind. And he really did Changed things and the internet tech, uh, technology caught on and the rest of his history. He had a long and distinguished career. He was actually named in around uh, 1999. Uh, Bill Lupin was named by CNBC as one of five people who most changed capital markets in the, the 20th century. So uh, really interesting stories and anecdotes from people who knew him well and worked with him, all just uh, over the top positive about what a what a great guy he was in addition to being an industry visionary. And so look forward to that article coming out, uh, hopefully next week. Oh, that's really good. And of course, one of the uh, the outcomes of the developments that Internet had was INET being bought by Nomura and then Nomura in Europe, where they had the rights to the, the crossing engine, the central limit order book, rather, um, using that to develop what became Chiax Europe. And Chiax Europe then actually rivaled the London Stock Exchange in terms of trading volumes. It became the largest European trading trading house for equities, the largest trading venue in the continent, and since then been bought by SIBO. So it's actually given what he did directly gave the largest trading venue in Europe its position today. So it's not to be underestimated, the impact of what at the time is, of course, risk-taking. Looking back with hindsight, we can say electronic trading was the future but at the time, people were doubters. And so to, to pioneer that was quite an incredible thing. Right, certainly. And, and, and to your point, one of the gentlemen I spoke with is Doug Atkin, who was the now co-founder of Communitas Capital, a venture capital firm. He's 
The other co-founders are Tom Gloser, former Reuters CEO, and Duncan Niederauer, former Nisey CEO. And, you know, among Doug's recollections were a very positive, great, formative experience when he first started out working in the 80s. But he said even to this day, a lot of what he's doing in terms of partnering and funding firms is firms that are working kind of the similar trajectory or evolution of equity markets did in the 1980s, different markets and different industries that still haven't, 35, 40 years later, haven't gotten there yet. But he's taking that same blueprint and applying that to different markets and different industries. And uh, he could credit Bill for still influencing him all these years later. Absolutely. A real industry legend. Then, Lynn, coming back to you, Obviously, we were, we were joking earlier about Bitcoin, but um, on the, uh, the distributed ledger technology front, we've seen some questioning over its potential value from the World Economic Forum, I think, and the Boston Consulting Group. Can you tell us about what was reported there? Yeah, they, both organizations came out with a report called Digital Assets, Distributed Ledger Technology in the Future Capital Markets. And what they said is that although DLT offers the potential for significant market-wide transformation, market participants are still far from adopting the technology at a scale at a market-wide level. And they based their research on eight workshops, just under 200 interviews with executives from leading financial services and fintech firms and an anonymized survey from over 60 firms. And it breaks down the opportunities and technical enablers across six asset classes and adjacent product lines. So they include equity and debt markets, securitized products, derivatives, securities financing, and asset management. And what they found that even though it's come of age, DLT, and as it, it has enhanced efficiencies, it has reduced operating costs and create new business models and capital markets, in fact, the use cases and solutions are respective to each asset class. So it will depend basically on what, you know, what the potential is. And he said, but one of the problems is, is this kind of different use cases. It's led to a complex patchwork of initiatives. So his, you know, the report's view is for capital markets to unilaterally adopt DLT. They're going to have to require cross-institutional alignment to realize you know, what the other paper calls the game-changing market opportunities and so there are several challenges, regulatory hurdles, and then, you know, institutions and markets are going to have to work together in, to ensure that, you know, they have a parallel DLT and legacy infrastructure so that they can manage the costs and risks. I mean, this is not very easy to do. And yeah. I think one of the problem, longstanding problems. And it just says, you know, what this also, it's not just from a technology, it's also, you know, kind of a cultural change. You have to restructure roles, processes, operations. Again, people trying to get people to change is always hard, you know, and this all, this change kind of introduces risk. So people have been hesitant. So their recommendations are for a market-wide data standardization, breaking down traditional organizational silos for capital markets, and a call for regulators to continue fine-tuning their approach to encourage innovation and avoid global fragmentation. And their conclusion is, I mean, the, I've been writing about this for years, so I mean, this is really not, not new, but continuing to be. It says that in the coming years, we're likely to see increasing digitalization of markets, including more DLT use cases going live. However, there is little market-wide agreement on how you know, the technology should be used and whether it will fundamentally reshape all elements of the capital markets, which, you know, in the beginning, people thought it was going to be revolutionary and it's proven to be very evolutionary and, and a glacier pace. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Europe, I think if you can't actually get a financial centre in Europe outside of London agreed by everybody and uh, includes the firms involved, then trying to come up with a technology agreement between firms which are competitors and are all looking for their own efficiencies, not necessarily those for their rivals, big question mark over whether or not they really want to do that. Well, I think the other thing that's not in the report is that I've spoken to a lot of people on this subject over the years, and, and the view is, if my existing technology works and is, you know, pretty good, do I really want to spend a lot of money, <laughs> you know, overhauling everything for maybe just an incremental improvement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like titanium teeth. If we all had titanium teeth, maybe <laughs> chewing would be a lot more efficient and it would be great. But are we all going to get titanium teeth? I don't yeah. think so. A lot of risk and uh, cost involved in that. Yeah, you know, I do need to go have a few fillings replaced uh, the month after next. Maybe I'll ask if titanium is an option. (laughs) Okay. GLP equals titanium teeth. Exactly. Sounds good. Fantastic. All right, guys. Well, thanks very much. That's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.